so excited to welcome you to Real Woman, Real Torah, a project of Bacheva Learning Center. We're here to offer you an authentic Torah learning experience, produced for women, by women. I hope you enjoy. While we're in Gullis, sometimes we refer to this state that we're in right now as being in a dream. Uh, you know, we say, wake up from this dream of, of Gullis. And I think on the one hand, we view that as something negative. Like we're not living life fully. Dream is like a half lived state. It's not, you're not fully, it means it's, it, it seems to imply that we're not in this full state of awareness, that we're not um, fully involved, that we're not living life in its most lived, awakened kind of state. Um, and in this week's Parsha, we start exploring the idea of dreams. Yasef starts dreaming. We know previously Yaakov dreamed. And we're going to discuss how, despite perhaps the negative connotation of dreaming, and specifically dreaming during Gullus, how this is actually there is an advantage to our state of dreaming right now. And there's almost a certain avidah that we're able to fulfill specifically in a dream state that is going to enable us to, God willing, have the ultimate awakening when Mashiach comes. But that the dream, being in this dream state is not necessarily purely to our disadvantage and how in this sort of like half-conscious state, we have the ability to accomplish very, very deep things. And it's a method of Avaita. It's a way of serving God through dreaming. So the mimer that we're going to learn today is not directly connected to the Parsha, but connected to this idea of dreams about what is a dream and how we can use the idea of a dream in our service of Hashem. And toward the end of the mimer, at the end of the mimer, we will bring it back to Yasef and connect this whole idea to Yasef. So the Gibor Moscow of this mimer is Shir Hamalis Bashuv Hashem. Um, and it, it comes from Tehillim. Um, so we'll jump right into it and we'll talk about how it is. There's a lot of, I guess you can say this. My is maybe more similar to my Robin, where we took this, these ideas and brought them really down into our Avedis Hashem very clearly. Um, I would say this Mimer has a similar, um, a similar sort of vibe where we're going to take the ideas and bring them into our Avedis Hashem. Not so Kabbalistic, a little more, a little more practical. Um, so just jumping right in. Hashem, Chulu So it says in Tehillim, um, a song on the steps. When Hashem returns us, then we will consider, we will see ourselves as dreamers. That when Mashiach comes, we're going to look back at our past and we're going to think of ourselves as dreamers, that we were in a dream, that we weren't living in like a true state of reality, but rather that we were living in a dream. What does it mean to be dreaming? What does it mean to be a dreamer? So a dream is something that combines two opposites into one thing. And it takes two things as if they are one thing. Two opposite things as if they're one thing. And this is because while we're asleep, our intellectual mind leaves us. 
the one which sort of differentiates the and what remains in our in our brain in our minds as we're asleep is only the power of imagination and in our imaginative mind we're able to reconcile two opposite things like a boat flying in the air like the Rambam writes in Shmaina Prakim. So what is happening when we're in this dream state, when we're having dreams, when we're asleep? It explains that our our logical brain, which is uniquely human, all other creations, animals have instinctive brains um, that en- enable them to stay alive. But our logical, rational brain is the uniquely human brain that we have, leaves us. And what remains is this this power of imagination, also can be explained as a power of just recognition of something, not understanding its purpose, but just recognizing what it is. Um, and that's what remains in our brains. And therefore, in our law, what, what prevents us from being able to reconcile opposites is our rational mind. Our rational mind is constantly differentiating and saying, this makes sense and this makes sense, but these two don't make sense together. So the idea of a ship makes sense. And the idea of flying makes sense. But a flying ship, at least during the time of the Rambam, does not make sense. Right. Um, ironically, ironically that today. is the example that that is given. <laughs> I guess we can say we have some sort of flying ship, right? But um, the it is only because we are only left with our imaginative mind. And of course, like any, like, if you think about it, like it's our imagination, we're Anything can happen. Anything is possible. A fantasy story starts from the imagination, comes from the power of the imagination. And you have to let go of the rational mind to accept that story. If you're very stuck in your rational mind, you wouldn't appreciate the the fantasy story. Because in our rational minds, everything needs to make sense and fit and be logical and realistic. It almost seems like the Kaya Hamadama is like, like the part of the mind that just accepts things at face value, like kind of like a childlike like yes. approach to reality where like you just kind of take things in without trying to put it into like boxes you already have in your head of how it's supposed to be. Right. I, I've seen it explained like as um, that actually like an animal would have this, uh, this, this power as well. And that um, it's basically the power of recognizing something as it is, but not understanding its role, not understanding its purpose, so when you see something, you just see it in its form, like on a very, very basic elementary level of seeing something. You know, what what color is it? Like, what is its visual reality as opposed to what is its functional reality? Which is where things start to, yeah, where, where things start to um, need to fit into their specific roles, basically. Right. And they can't take on other roles. So rock shabahakets, so it's only when you wake up, and the power of intellect wakes up. And this takes control. It overrules the power of the imagination. And it doesn't allow the imagination to expand. Because you see in your mind's eye that you, or in your in your intellectual mind, that there are two opposite things and they can't coexist. So when you wake up, what happens? You had a dream. Let's say you had a very frightening dream, terrifying dream, right? And something bad happens in the dream. 
But it also doesn't make sense that that bad thing happened. So you wake up and you're comforted because it was so scary in the dream, but then you're rational mind wakes up and says it was just a dream that wouldn't make sense that that's not actually happening and so when your irrational mind wakes up it pushes away the imaginative mind and it says no these this doesn't make sense and i think we could sort of say that the stronger the rational mind the weaker the imaginative mind becomes and i i think this is something we see in general that I think our imaginations are very strong and powerful when we're little and things don't need to make sense as much. And then anything can can happen and there's a lot of imaginative play. And then the more we sort of step into our more rational role and into our more rational mind, their imagination sort of dims and weakens. And I think even in adulthood, if you're striving to go to a more creative, imaginative place, if you're stuck in a very rational Um, intellectual headspace, it's going to be very difficult to get to that more imaginative space. So we see that the, the, these two, that, that the intellect sort of overrides and pushes away our power of imagination. And we're going to get back to that a little later. So this was sort of our muscle, the muscle of a dream that um, gullus is compared to a dream. And that when we look back at Gullus from when we are in a state of Gula, we're going to say, oh, it was as if we were dreaming. So we're going to understand what, what exactly does that mean in, in this sense. The Kacha Inyan Begullus. And so too is sort of what is happening during Gullus. Nitzus Elikus Benavasha Adam, the spark of godliness that is in the soul of the person, Shehu Bebechina Shina, that it is in a state of sleep. His stalkus hamaychen, and sort of the power of intellect is hidden. Yachohu laharchev based varim hafriyim. It is only now during Gullus that we're able to then reconcile two opposites. It says, um, the Pesukim Shir Shirim, ani yeshina v'libi er. I am asleep, but my heart is awake. It says yeshina begalusa. When are we asleep? Is when we're in a state of Gullus. So when we're in Gullus, our nefeshali kiss sort of is exiled. Um, we're not, it's not working in full strength in my, in my consciousness. So my consciousness is ruled by my nefesh Bahamas and my nefesh is sort of trying to bang on the door, wake, wake us up, but we don't really hear it. But in this state of exile, we're also able to reconcile two opposites. What is our existence during Gullus is inherently paradoxical. It says, We is kal hayayim tarad b'masa matan. All day, we're busy working. A person is working to make money, right? Ish, Levitza, one person involved in his olive tree business. I mean, excuse me, every person is busy trying to make a, a, a profit. This person involved in his olive tree business. So we have this one state of, of being. Our one state of being is that we're busy trying to make a livelihood. And for many people, um, for many people, trying to make a livelihood or not just trying to live, make a livelihood, but general physical living, existing, taking care of our, um, our regular physical lives, taking care of our bodies, taking care of our children's bodies, taking care of all of the things that come along with being a human being. What happens is, is that sort of overwhelms us and it becomes, it becomes, it says that you're supposed to make, um, you're supposed to make your physical livelihood sort of 
R-I, temporary, and your spiritual self, Keva, that which is your, um, I guess you can say your status quo, that your status quo is being involved in your spiritual life. And your physical life is sort of the thing that you take care of on a temporary sort of basis. But for most of us, it gets switched around where our physical life is this is Keva. That's what's established. And our spiritual life is Ari. It's when we have time for it, when something shakes us up, when, you know, when we're, when we are able to set aside a little bit of time, then we involve ourselves in our spiritual reality. So that's one side of the one side of the paradox is that we are very involved in our physical reality. But what happens when I go daven? It awakens a love for Hashem until until the point that perhaps you're even willing to remove yourself from being so invested in your physical concerns. Because we spend so much time contemplating on the oneness of Hashem. So, nevertheless, after this love for Hashem sort of just dissipates, it slips away. Um, and it doesn't take up any place in our heart. Because it's about rather it's the opposite of the intent that is in tefillah. And it's very difficult for the person, um, excuse me, and he imagines in his heart um, to try to reconcile, to connect these two things, as if they were one. But in truth, they are completely removed from each other. So basically, we just presented this paradox. The person is busy all day with their physical reality. Then you dive in, and this person is dominating really well, because while they're dominating, they actually want to escape from their physical reality and become totally immersed with their love for Hashem because they spend some time meditating and contemplating. But then when dominating is over, what happened? It goes away. This love goes away, and you go right back into your physical life. And it seems like these two are competing with each other, and they and. It also seems like they're two opposite states. They're two opposite realities. Either you could be involved with the physical pursuits or you could be involved with godliness. You can't really be involved with both. And we've and it's it seems like this is actually the truth that Hashem says that anything that is not expressing me is negating me. So if if we are, if when we're in our physical reality, we're not focusing on expressing godliness, then in truth, we are negating godliness. As it's going to, as he's going to go on and say, because you might say, oh, maybe making a living is completely and totally um, part of what Hashem wants from us, which it is. Even though it says in the Torah that six years you should plant your field. This is when it's speaking about um, Shemitah, right? It says you are supposed to rest, but you're supposed to take a break from planting your field. You're supposed to have that Shemitah year, which you dedicate to Hashem, but you're also have to have, you're supposed to have six years of planting. 
And also in Kriyashma, we say, that we should serve him with, his, with our full heart. And I will, um, and I will give you rains for your lands, and you will gather your grain. So basically, it seems like the Torah is commanding us to work, which means Torah is commanding us to engage with the world. But the main intent of these phrases is to say that we are supposed to be involved with the world with the intention that we are engaging with the world purposefully, mindfully to achieve spiritual goals through the physical world. As we've discussed over the past few weeks, the whole idea of and elevating the sparks, that that is supposed to be um, the way that we engage with the physical world is when we have in our minds that um, that we are refining the world through our physical actions. Um, and he's, he says over here um, that basically it corresponds, that it says that Shemitah corresponds to basically the two stages of, of creation. That it says Sheishanim Tizra refers to six millennium where we're supposed to be like in Gullis and doing a by the room. It could be split up even further about how those six millennium work, what exactly we're doing at each of those points. Right, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then Shabbos is Mashiach. That's when we sort of reap the benefits of all the 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 the, the refinement is finished, and we're able to to sit in that. But so it does seem like we are meant to be engaging in the physical world. So maybe it's not such a contradiction. It could be part of our of a But then he kind of. Smashes that down and says, However, most people are just, their intention is only to um, make a profit, to be able to buy their bread, their hearts, and their minds are not really focused on the proper intention. So that would be true. It would be true that these things are in opposites if when we were engaged in the physical world, we would be doing it in this intentional and mindful way that it is part of a Hashem. However, the Altar Rebbe says, is that the reality for most people? It's not, it's not exactly the reality that when we're going through our day, we're constantly focused on the fact that this is for God, but rather our own greed wakes up, our own personal, our own personal needs sort of take over. And that becomes why we are working. Their entire hope and desire is to satiate that which is lacking um, in their needs of their guf and the needs of their body. And we make the needs of our body icker. We make the needs of our body be the most important thing. Vizehu mamish hipoch his arro shabbat fila, liyes nik babali by babala shem, lavada, belief haribes zarachas shalom. And this, if this is the case, if it is the case that we are engaging in our physical lifestyle primarily to serve the needs of our physical bodies, then it is entirely opposite of the feelings that we awaken during Dabni. Um, which is to have a love for Hashem alone and nothing else. 
So we're, we are left sort of in this paradoxical state where we spend most of our day making our bodies thicker, making our physical lifestyle the most important. And then what about those spiritual moments? Do they count? Are they real? Are they just this fleeting moment? Um, is, are they just an illusion? Are they just the part of my dream? Right. Or can they be something, can they be something real? That's our question. I'm not sure if this is the implication here, but I feel like maybe um, the idea of it being like a dream is that the same way in the dream, the contradicting realities don't feel like a conflict. Like they seem to just flow seamlessly. So like in our lives, we don't feel conflicted necessarily over like the fact that there's parts of our day that seem very devoted to Hashem and parts that are very invested in selfish um, pursuits. Like a kind of, they kind of blend into one day we're not, without. We're not, we're not so, we're not so invested in rationalizing it to make it make sense. We're fine exactly, to be, like, in, we're fine to be in this fugue state of letting all of the different parts of myself just be. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to we just kind of, like we're okay living in both worlds and like, unless we stop to question it, like we're, we just kind of let them coexist, you know? Right. Right. And we're going to see why in a sense there actually is a truth to that that they can coexist. Right. Um, even though obviously our Vaida should be to try to incorporate it, try to, um, I think our, our goal is to unify both these sides of our, both these parts of our lives, as we mentioned right. before, that the more we, the more we can direct our focus, even in our physical priorities towards revealing how they're part of our, if it's Hashem, that is obviously the goal. Um, but, um, but we're going to explore how, even when we're not in that state, how, it's okay. It doesn't right. mean that it doesn't mean that we're not truly um, feeling spiritual feelings for Hashem. It doesn't automatically negate because sometimes when you're in a very rational minded space, you say, "If," and I think we maybe feel this sometimes in our relationships that could be a good example for us that if. You're, if, if you're in a relationship with someone and most of their actions are sort of, they don't take you into consideration at all. And then every once in a while pop in and say, hey, I care about you. We would doubt the sincerity of the, hey, I care about you. Hmm. Um, but, we're, but Hashem is able to see beyond that. Hmm. And we're going to see why. Well, first of all, because he set up the system, but we'll have to see, see, see why a little more. Even after all these true things that we just said, which are that it is paradoxical to prioritize your physical life and then say, I love you, God. That is a paradox. Even after saying that is true. A person shouldn't feel sad and think that the arousal that they feel during davening as a result of their contemplation of Hashem is just fake. Because our existence is like a dream. A person's imagination can combine two opposites. So he thinks it's just a dream, right? My love for Hashem is not real. It's just a dream. Because 
because after he wakes up from davening and the love dissipates, dissipates, and instead, what does he decide? What does he turn back to loving? It, it, it turns into a love for his body, for himself. He might think that even during davening, his um, love for his body wasn't nullified. Um, and the love that he has during davening for the one God was not true. But rather, it's like this dream that unites two opposites. Um, he imagines that he loves Hashem, yet he still loves his body, even though they can't exist at the same time. So it must come from the power of, of imagination that can imagine things that are not real. So this is basically the Alterba saying what a person might feel as a result of the fact that he is in a relationship both with himself and with God, which is inherently contradictory, which is so hard to hear because we're all in that very, we're all in that place. Um, so is it all just fake? Is it all just a dream? Is it possible to um, exist in this paradoxical space? Truthfully. However, the truth is that the source of this stream, it comes from a very, very high level of holiness. That in general, the idea of a dream is rooted in a very, very high place. And so how are we going to understand this? It says in Zechariah that on that day, Hashem will be one and his name will be one. And the Gemara asks, Nowadays is Hashem's name not already one? And it answers, Hashem's um, not the way that it is written, is it read? So we know that when we're davening, um, I'm practicing, I've been practicing Kriya with my son. And so we go through Tehillim or davening. And the first few times, right, you come on to Yudke Vavke and they start reading out they're practicing, they're reading, they start reading out the letters as they are and printed in the center. And it's like, no, whenever you see that, you just say Hashem. Or when we're reading it, we'll say the, um, the name of Hashem that we call Hashem when, we, when we're davening, which is not the not right reading out the letters as they are. So when it says that when Mashiach comes, Hashem's name will be one, it means that we will read his name the way it is written. We'll read his name the, na- the way it is written. To explain this matter, that Hashem's name is in exile. And therefore, it's not read the way that it is written, but rather it is in a lavush. Hashem's name is wearing a lavush, and we read it a different way than it is spelled. So now during Galas, a person is in sort of a state of sleep 
And the three um, intellectual elements, um, the three intellectual, um, the intellectual elements withdraw. And they withdraw into the three emotional elements. So Tlas, Klila, and Hulu is that they're included, the three are included within the emotional elements. We're going to explain what that means in a second. When this happens, his soul draws down life for itself from above. So this is what happens during Gullus. During Gullus, we know Hashem's name is concealed. What that means, name, as we've explained a number of times, that names are expressive. Um, Hashem's spheres are compared to his, his name. And his spheris is how he shares light with us. And when we're in Gullus, the name takes on, gets hidden. It, with, it sort of withdraws a little bit. And we don't receive from the full power of the name. But what happens when there is concealment is that instead of receiving from the revelation of Hashem's name, is that we have to go to the source itself that we sort of receive, instead of receiving from Hashem's name, we receive from the source. V'sham hu bevechinas igulim. And in the higher level, it is on the level of igulim, which means circles. She'ein behem bechinas mailo mata, that don't have an element of up or down. Raka kal bahashva achas all the aspects are equal and everything comes together it doesn't make a difference between what they are without any differentiation as is known that these and these are both the words of a living God we, if you ever learned um, Chumash with Mefarshim, um, and sometimes you read two Mefarshim that are entirely different, or in Halacha, and we see constantly throughout the Gemara, throughout the Mishnah, different debates about how to interpret something, even different Halachic conclusions. Um, look at the Ashkenazic world and the Sephardic world, how we sometimes... Um, follow halacha very differently, have different halachic interpretations. And so you might say, oh, which one is true? Which one is real? It can't be in our minds. It can't be that two different things are real. Only one thing is able to be real and only one thing is able to be true. So how is it that we say, this one and this one, two totally opposite interpretations, they're both true. How can that be? So the answer is that in a linear reality, it can't be. So, Seder Stalschluss, as it is set up, is a linear reality, right? We, we see it, we, it's, the, it's the kav, we draw it as sort of as a line. It's set up sort of straight up and down. But before Seder Stalschluss, and this is because um, if we go, it starts with intellect, right? Seder Stalschluss starts with Chachma Bina Das. In an intellectual world, only one thing can be true. In an intellectual space, only one thing can be true. We can only have one absolute truth. You can't reconcile two things that are opposite from each other. But in a pre-conscious state, 
not subconscious, but pre-conscious state, two things can exist as being true. It says that Hashem's energy before Seder Ashtoshlis, higher than Seder Ashtoshlis, is in a state of igulim, in a state of circles. A circle is not like a line. In a circle, every part of the circle is sort of equal. You can't say which one part is the top. You can't say which part is the bottom. They're all equal. So in a circle, you can have five different interpretations of something, and they can all be true. And not because they're lower than consciousness. They're not because they're... the. See, in a, someone who's not so smart can see two things that are opposite as true because they just don't understand, right? So then the smart person will look down at that person and say, oh, how are you reconciling these things? They don't make sense. You're not so smart. You're not, you're not thinking critically. So that's one level of being able to reconcile opposites. Or like you mentioned before, a child, anything can be true for a child. But then there's the level that basically precedes rationality that is higher than rationality. And over there, two, um, two um, contradicting truths can exist because it is because everything is sort of equal over there. You can say that on an essential level, you can have more than one truth. I think this could correspond also sometimes with, with like we said, with, um, with ourselves, as we were mentioning um, in the Mimer in Pesach Eliyahu, we were talking about how um, our spheres are, can change, right? Our personality can change. But at the core of who we are, things are the same, right? They stay the same. On that core level of who I am, I can even have sometimes contradicting elements to my personality. It's only when I'm trying to make sense of things that I need to sort of fit into a certain mold. But at my, on my essential level, there can be elements to myself that don't necessarily make sense, elements to myself that might contradict. It's only, it's only when we draw down the light into the kav, into a sort of, um, you might call it a kav, is <laughs> like a beam of light, a line, literally. You have a better translation? Like a linear... I'm just thinking like linear, a, yeah, a linear, yeah. a linear uh, structure, a linear construct. Yeah, it's only then that we have to sort of separate things. Oh, this is a chesed way of acting. This is a this is the small. This is a gefura way of acting. Where things need to sort of fit into their space, fit into their mold. Um, but this is not the case in the level of yigulim, in the level of circles. In there's no division. And up there, everything that seems opposite down here is completely and totally united. And there is no difference um, between them. So we can say that on a conscious level, there's all these differences. And on a pre-conscious level, there exists a space where things can completely and totally mesh together without um, being opposite, without being, without seeming to be contradictory. Uh, but how did Hashem create the world? Hashem created the world primarily through the kav, through things needing to make sense, right? Uh, that for this to be able to be revealed down below, 
אינה כי אם על ידי בחינס, שינה והסטלטוס במייכן בגלס. The only way that this higher level of reality, that this level of יגולם, is able to be revealed down below is when we go to sleep and when we're in גלס. So as long as we're awake, just like with a person, as long as we're awake, we can't access that same imaginative space, that same space where contradicting things can exist as long as we're awake, as long as our kaya chaseichel is awake. We can't, we can't access it. It's only when we go to sleep that we're able to access it. Similarly, as long as we are in a state of revelation, we cannot access the higher level of godliness. Um, so like when the Beis HaMikdash was standing, the Jewish people were sort of, um, you could say almost blinded by the revelation of Hashem's light that they weren't able to access his more essential self. When Hashem is showing himself, let's say, by, in flashy miracles, um, in a very revelatory way, then what do you see as God? You see the revelation as God. But when there is no revelation, for a lot of, I think for a lot of us now, we feel like, oh, the world is very dark. So we don't know what God looks like from looking around and trying to look for some sort of revelation, for some sort of miracle, for some sort of glamorous show. And therefore, if we want to find God, we have to find him himself. Um, the example that I've often given is for, to try to um, understand this is when a person um, is going to do their job, they present in a certain way. You get dressed, you put yourself together. Even, you know, to some extent, your voice changes when you're interacting with people. You know, people have their phone voice or the, their, your, um, your voice changes. The way that you speak is going to change. You're showing yourself at, in, and you're filling your certain role. You're revealing yourself in a certain way. And then when you're at home, right, you just woke up. In the morning, you look a lot less glamorous. Your voice is groggy. Um, you might not be as polite with the people around you. Which one is the real you? The real you is the you at home. And someone who thinks that they know you based on how you are at work is not going to really probe deeper to get to know the real you as you are at home. If that makes any sense, right? So when we're in a state of revelation, of showing ourselves as something, then we aren't just being, it's not just us ourselves that are able to be there and, um, and present. So when Hashem is in a state of revelation, when we're not in Gullus and Hashem is revealing himself, it can sometimes be a distraction that we're not looking for Hashem himself. But the truth is that when we're in Gullus, we actually, in a certain level, have access to a deeper part of God. Because Hashem is not revealing himself, because Hashem is not showing himself to us, when we access him, we're able to access Hashem in a state of equalim, Hashem in a much higher state, Hashem as he is, not as he is showing himself to be. Right. You know, just going um, back to the, yeah, like back to the metaphor of the dreams for a minute, like I feel like- right. 
even like practically like often our dreams reveal to us these kind of like subconscious fears or like emotions that we suppress and they will come up in dreams and you're like oh wow I didn't even know that that's what I was thinking about or that's what I was feeling or that's what I was afraid of or whatever um and I feel like it's like because during the day when our conscious mind is active um it's like oh this fear doesn't like that doesn't make sense that's totally irrational so like we'll shut it down and like not even like acknowledge it because it doesn't fit with our rational mind or like that emotion is like so like doesn't fit with my identity of who I am so like I'll I don't want to acknowledge that that's a part of my self because like it doesn't you know it doesn't fit with the way I want to present myself to myself even you know like even the way we even want to think of ourselves within our own consciousness there's certain parts of us that we don't want to acknowledge are there because it doesn't fit in with the way we think of ourselves um and then like in our dreams all of a sudden we kind of get access to things that in a way like in a way like you said dreams are like foolish and silly and like things that don't make any sense but they also reveal to us like deeper parts of ourselves that we're not willing to to acknowledge or like face as sometimes you know during the day um so I guess, yeah, similar idea with gulls. Like we're, um, in a way, it gives us access to, to something that's much deeper than what we get during the awake time, so to speak, like during the basic dish. Right. Yes. Um, yeah, because what happens during gulls is Sha'az Meir, Misnethet, Milamaila, at that time of spiritual concealment, there shines from above, from a very high world, which is this level of this level of dreams. It's the power of the imagination to be able to reconcile two opposites. As if they are actually one. Because in truth, in their source, they are actually united. Because on that level, um, they're in this level of circle. And I think maybe, you know, the fact that the example that we gave before of the flying ship, that for the Rambam, that was such an impossibility. And why is it that now it's possible? Because in its source above, it's not actually impossible. So all the things that we think are as, as impossible, it's only because of, how do you know? Into it, it, so many things that are going on in our world right now, literally two, three, four, five, six hundred years ago, they would have thought they were impossible. Like we're living in the science fiction, which what is the science fiction? It's that fantasy. It's a place of things that absolutely don't make sense. And the fact that they can evolve to making sense just shows us that in their root, in their source, it's not actually not making sense. They might actually be one and united. So it's only in our limited perspective that views them as being completely irrational. Um, it's only in this world where they came down through these, you know, channels of this side being one thing and this side being the other thing. That's why they appear to us as if they are opposites and that they're very far apart from each other. Therefore, it's impossible for their interconnectedness to be revealed to us in an intellectual way, which is the beginning of these distinct kavim, right? What is the beginning of sort of all rationale and logic and our linear reality begins in our minds. So of course it's not going to make sense to us in our minds if after it's gone through this um gone through this linear process. 
it's only when we're asleep. And the Meichen goes away in, when we're in Galas, as I misnited, Meir are Elyon. It's only then that the higher light is able to be revealed. But it comes in a way of darkness and concealment. Which is um, meaning it's clothed, and not in a revealed way. So basically what we're saying over here is that in order for us to experience this higher reality, it's necessary that it be concealed. Because as soon as it's revealed, it's no longer this higher level of reality. This higher level of reality is not able to become rationalized. Like you were saying before, right? There are some very deep inner emotional things that uh, let's say you're uh, you can go to talk therapy for years and talk about it and probe and go deeper and deeper into your like intellectual space of understanding it. And unless you have some sort of release from that intellectual space, you're never going to actually access what it is because intellectually you can't make sense of it. So it's never going to be able to end. It's never going to be able to, there are things that can't be healed intellectually or can't be <clears throat> broached intellectually. And what we're saying over here is that this light of Hashem is not able to be revealed in an, in, in an intellectual way. It's not able to be revealed in a way that it makes sense. So Galos is this paradox. Galos is this paradox where we're able to access the deepest place of God, but it's not going to feel like revelation. It's going to feel like darkness because it's impossible. Because once it feels like revelation, that means that it's, not, it's no longer as deep. the more you're able to explain it, the less deep it is. Um, and therefore, even though we're... So so what we're saying over here is that um, the very nature of our reality is that the darkness is necessary for us to reach the deepest places. And it can be comforting in the sense that there's a point to the darkness, that it's not just there for no reason, that it's not just for the sake of Hashem wanting us to feel abandoned, but rather that it's there to force us to dig into the into a deeper state, both in ourselves and in our relationship with Hashem. Because just like imagine, I'm just like thinking, right? Like imagine during the time of Beis HaMikdash, when you could go to the Beis HaMikdash, and that was your spiritual experience. You could go to the base of Mikdash, you could see, um, you can see all the miracles that were taking place. You can have this very like elevated spiritual experience. But so now we can't do that. But when we're reaching out to Hashem and we're finding him from the darkness, we're obviously getting in touch with something that's a lot more real then that sort of elevated experience. If you're able to find the Shem in such a dark world, that means that you're connecting on such a deep level. And then we doubt our connection, but in truth, it's actually the deepest, most real connection that we can have. Right. And like, I don't know if he's going to explicitly connect it back to like the question before of, are those moments of, sp of like spiritual connection real? Right. Um, but it's almost saying like, when you do find those moments of like, real connection to Hashem like that 
it's not that that it's not that the fact that the rest of the time we're not focused on our relationship with Hashem and you know focus on other things that are contradictory to it. It doesn't dismiss it, but in fact, it kind of reveals that those moments that we do have um, are coming from a really deep place. The fact that it's it's the fact that it exists within this this like contradictory reality demonstrates it's that its source is deeper. The, the fact that most of my day I'm just selfishly absorbed. And then I have this sense of yearning to want to leave that reality. That's proof of the depth of the yearning, not proof of the fact that it's, it's fake. The insincerity, right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so now we're just going to talk about what does it mean that um, that when we're returned, we're going to look back that we were dreamers. What what exactly? So so what's it going to be like when, when Mashiach comes? However, regarding the future, it's written, and your um, your master or Hashem will no longer be hiding um, in clothing, in clothing and garments. Remember, we said before that now Hashem's name is not. That is not read as it is written, but rather and when Mashiach comes, it will be. It won't be hidden in any sort of um, covering. And it will be read the way it is um, written. Why? Because our physical eye will be able to see. And regarding that time, it is said when Hashem returns. Um, the captives from Eretz Yisrael, Tzian, we will look back and consider ourselves as dreamers, perishes, gala, madrega, ubechina, zu, shal chachalim. It will be revealed to us this level of dreams. Ad asher kulam yakiru v'yedu v'yasigu hachayas hanimshak lachem v'zman hagalas, shehu bebechinas chalim. That people will recognize and know and understand that the life from Hashem that was drawn down to us was on this level of dreams. And we will say, we were all like dreamers. This is not a negative thing that we'll say that we were all like dreamers, but rather we're going to recognize the depth from where we were receiving. Now we access this in a state of dreaminess. Now it's necessary for our intellect to be turned off. But in the future, this the dreams will be, so to speak, our awakened reality. We'll be able to process it. We'll be so now. Once you're processing it, that means that you're far from it. But sort of the 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 impossibility of Mashiach is that we will be able to process this. We'll be able to perceive and understand that which is understand un- understandable, basically. Um, but I think a few things that we take out of this, or finish off in a minute, just to connect this to Yosef. But we, before we get there, I think just some. Two things to take out of it. The first most important thing, I think, is the fact that there is purpose to the darkness, that the darkness forces us to reach um, a deep, true place, um, and that it's real and, and sincere. And I think something else is also that as long as we're in Gullis, we have to settle into and become a little bit comfortable with the fact that things are not always going to make sense. And that that's not such a bad thing. That the fact that I can't understand everything is not necessarily a chisarin. It's not necessarily that making sense is not the highest level that there is, basically. 
that understanding something fully is not the deep is not the deepest that we that we can get. And I think it's like it's a little ironic. Like we don't even understand ourselves <laughs> fully. We are like huge mysteries to ourselves. And yet we think that everything around us needs to make sense all the time. And that I need to understand why God is operating a certain way or why things turn out a certain way. Or, right. But like that is not the ultimate. The ultimate knowing is not logical. Um, so, yeah, that's just one thought on this. And just to connect this back to you, if I'm not going to read it inside, but just the idea is that this is the Mila of Yosef is that he is a dreamer, that he has dreams, that he lives in the world of dreams, that he interprets dreams. Um, it says that on certain levels, Yosef is even greater than Maisha Rabino. And the proof for this is that Nadav and Aviu come from the, are derived from the Nefesh of Yosef. And he goes into a whole proof for that. We're not going to get into that right now. But Nadav and Aviu are derived from the soul of Yosef. And Maisha Rabbeinu says after they pass away that he that Nadav and Aviyu are even higher than him on a certain level. Um, and it's specifically Yosef who is said to be Nayak Etzayin Yosef, that he is guides the sheep, um, guide, that we, the Jewish people, are compared to him, that we guide the sheep like Yosef. And this comparison is specifically for when we're in Gullus, that Yosef basically empowers us in Gullus because he is the dreamer. And he's connected to this world of dreams that empowers the Jewish people that we, when we're living in Gullus, are able to access this world of dreams and um, serve Hashem from this level of dreams instead of from this level of revelation. And so that's connected to the power of Yasef. So, yeah, right now we're in a state of serving Hashem with dreams. And that's not necessarily... A negative thing, despite the fact that we see, that we think that dreams are nonsensical. In truth, they connect us to a very deep um, and lofty level of godliness. Yeah, and I think just going back to how we started, you know, about like the power of imagination. I think we can all relate to that, like in the way that, like when we look at children and the way they they approach the world, or something really valuable about that imaginative. Um, anything is possible. Anything is possible. And like, and like, we see like children being like they have this like non-judgmentalism. They have this sense of of wonder, this sense, this like faith, like a lot of qualities that you know. I think we can all appreciate that as as we mature and become adults, we like lose lose touch with those qualities um, that you know, in a sense, stem from a much deeper part of of the person. Um, so so yeah, I feel like that we can kind of relate to this idea, like the imagine, the power of imagination being this very powerful force that we have the power to connect to when we're in Golas. I also think it's so interesting that this Mimer almost like flips the whole, like it flips the whole Golas thing on its head. Like, you know, that, you know, like very much sounds like, like, oh, we're like- A negative thing. A negative thing, yeah. And it's yeah. like, no, actually that's, that's telling us something positive about the time we're in. Yeah. And in a way that, that revelation that we experienced with Hussein Mikdash is limiting. Um, right. So I feel like it's a very like, yeah, almost like counterintuitive. Reminiscent a bit, a bit of just even Basi, the ideas of Basi Lagani, which emphasize how it's specifically in, in the Tachtain that we're able to connect to the essence, that it's specifically in, in the lowest place, that because of the fact that there's the least revelation is yeah. what enables us to connect to that, to that essential space. To sort of get past all the 
all the trimmings and get to just what what it's really about.